All right. So we sort of ended last week after the crossing of the Red Sea. Israel has made it this far. We got to see God's handwork in how he hardened Pharaoh's heart. He didn't make the exodus easier. He made it more difficult. And after hardening Pharaoh's heart, we got to see how God delivered his people. We got to look at the um, institution of the Passover and some of the symbolism there. So we crossed through the Red Sea. And I'm going to read a brief section, uh, selection from um, Exodus 15. This is the Song of Moses. So this is Moses sort of responding to this great work that God has done. And I'm just going to start in verse 1, Exodus 15. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrew your adversaries. You send out your fury, and it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters pile up. The flood stood in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. I will divide the, the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew your winds. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? So, this is Moses' response to God's great work. And it's the beginning of where our story picks up today. Moses sings this song. Israel recognizes the triumph of God and gives this praise. And then Israel sets out from the Red Sea. They journey three days into the wilderness, uh, sure. When they come to the land of Marah, something interesting happens. The people grumble against Moses because the water was not drinkable. Now, remember where we are, Sinai Peninsula. It's a hot, arid land. With three days out, remember, we have 600,000 men on foot walking. Three days, and it's hot, it's dry. They're thirsty. They find water, but it's bitter. They can't drink it. And so they grumble. Moses calls out to God, who works through Moses to make the water sweet. Moses throws a, a log or a tree, some translations say, into the, into the water and it becomes drinkable. So three days in, more or less, we have sort of the first problem arise. 
Israel, Israel just saw God work. We're moving forward. Three days in, we're out of water. It's a problem. They grumble, and God provides for them. <clears throat> so, my question is, and, I, and we mentioned this briefly last week, is instead of, because again, during this section, we will be tempted to place our judgments as New Testament Christians upon some of the behaviors of the Israelites. However, how ought Christians to approach grumbling in their own lives? What should, what should we get out of this? Because we're going to see it again and again. It's going to keep popping up. What should we get out of this? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Because remember, one of the things I wanted to do with this class is to have you guys thinking about connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And these things were written for our instruction. So there's a reason this is recorded. Yes, Lee. I agree. I, th- I think that, you know, we, we, can't, we cannot pass over the fact that God's hand is in our situation, even though it might be miserable. Certainly, the Israelites have just come through a miserable situation and have been miraculously delivered. And, and we might think, gosh, you know, that's, you see that, how could you, how could you not just go forward on faith? But it's, but it's, but it's an easy as a human condition, sinful as we are, it is something we all struggle with. And moving forward, it happens again. Israel sets out again and arrives at the wilderness of sin. We're now in Exodus 16. It's been a month and a half since they departed from Egypt. Israel grumbles against Moses and Aaron, saying it would have been Better to die in Egypt than suffer hunger in the wilderness. Well, this is a step up in complaining, isn't it? It's not just a complaining. Now it's a, it would have been better if. Now we're questioning, right? God, we saw that really cool thing you did with with the sea and Pharaoh's army. But, you know, we're hungry now. And in Egypt we were slaves, but at least we had food. So, an interesting passage here. I'm going to read to you. Moses warns Israel, in a way. Exodus 16, 7. Excuse me. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumblings against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Moses is letting Israel know. You may think, it may think you're just grumbling against me, but you are grumbling against the Lord. He's the one who brought you out here. This is his purpose for you. And so it's an interesting, we, we, we started with a basic complaint, now we're thirsty, now we're hungry. And not only are we hungry, it would have been better for us to die and at least be fed in Egypt than to come out here and starve to death. So the complaints are getting 
stronger. God tells Moses he will provide bread from heaven for Israel. God commands that his people are to gather only one day's portion of the bread each day in order to test if his people will obey his commandment. So, God provides manna. Manna, the the Hebrew word for that literally means, like, what is it? And it's this, because they didn't know what it was, right? They wake up in the morning, there's this flaky, wafer-like stuff on the ground. They can use it to make bread. They can eat it. Um, But, right away, there's a problem. Because God asked them to only collect enough for each day. And remember, they were hungry. Well, that's not, they didn't obey. And moving down to Exodus 16 here, I'm going to read a section from you, starting at verse 19. And Moses said, Moses is talking to the people here. Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. So, there's no, that God is providing for them. He's providing manna in the morning, later he'll provide quail in the evening. So bread in the morning, quail in the evening. But he's only giving them enough for each day. Excuse me. Jeremy. Yes. I mean, but their response to it is to complain mm-hmm. and, and grumble instead of what their response should be. And what our response should be when we have real needs is to make requests to God. God wants to feed them. God mm-hmm. is He's going to feed them. Yes. He's willing to feed them. But mm-hmm. instead of them complaining, He wants them to request it. Mm-hmm. To, and that's, it's the same thing. I mean, we, have, we have situations today where we have real needs. Yes. And instead of Yes, and I, think, I think that's the. I don't think. I don't think their desire is the sinful part. I mean, they're hungry, they're mm-hmm. thirsty. It's a physical need they have. Yes, so it's, it, it's a real need. It's a physical need, and there's nothing inherently sinful about being hungry or thirsty. Right. And 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 we see that God is providing for them. It just we're also seeing a repeated picture about how it tends to take the picture of a complaint rather than the picture of a request. Um, but we see that God does provide for them. Um, and again, as a, as a New Testament Christian, we certainly see a, um, a connection there. But they're not allowed to keep stores of the food. I think that's very significant as well. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. Because you're wandering through uh, Israel, you're wandering through the wilderness, and you're, you're like, this is a barren, arid land. There's not food, there's not water. I have as much food right now as I can pick up. What do you mean I just take enough for one day? Any prudent person would want to take more, right? Because I would need a little less faith if I had a little bit more food. So it is, in a way, like God is almost training them. 
Yes, Greg. That is, that is fantastic, and I and hope you all heard it. Basically, just saying if you allowed, based on the number we're given in, in this account of the men, if you allowed three other people for every single man, put them in rows of 100, the whole company, over 2 million people, the, it, it would be over 20 miles long, this procession. So again, the idea of, of, of carrying enough food to supply themselves or carrying water, you know, or just, just how long it takes them to get from one place to another, um, the logistics of it is a total nightmare. And, and God is saying, I will provide each day what you need, but not more. But right away, as, you know, as we might expect, people try and take too much. And what happens? The food, it goes bad. It's, it's inedible. Uh, the blessing doesn't last for them. Um, that's, that's a really good calculation. It provides a nice picture of the size of this. Um, interesting side note, I read some stuff. There are, there are commentators or historians who, who, who would hardly credit that Israel could become so large after only 430 years of Egypt. Um, but again, God specifically blessed, specifically blessed them, and he promised to make them great. He promised to make a lot of them. So I think we can just see how, you know, God's provision and how God, you know, blessing them could lead to such a massive number of people. Um, it, it is a fulfillment of promises that were made earlier in this narrative. So, it's, but, it's probably one of the commands that they know too. I mean, they don't have the Ten Commandments yet, but they were yes. passed down, be fruitful, multiply. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that is true. That is true, and they are succeeding at that. That's all right. No, that's all right. Um, um, no, that's all right. So, um, no, it's all good. So, Yes. Yes. And thank you, Wanda. It says, give us this day our daily bread. I'm always happy, like I said, we get to have those things. I just want us to know to make those connections back to here. Um, our daily bread, you know, means a little something different when you read it in the context of Exodus because they were depending on this every day to eat. With the exception of a new development here, which is going to, um, it's going to happen. Next, Moses institutes the Sabbath, a holy day of rest every seventh day. Um, this is going to obviously become very important. The day is to be set apart to the Lord, and the people are to gather and prepare all necessary food on the sixth day in order that they may remain where they are. Now, somehow, we also managed to mess this up. 
And I'm going to continue here in Exodus 16 to read this just to kind of finish this picture of having to depend and wait and have faith in God. This is what, um, and in, <clears throat> this is in uh, verse 23 of Exodus 16. He said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept until the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink. It did not, go, it did not rot. It did not become foul. So they gathered when they weren't supposed to gather. They gathered too much. They tried to keep it. It rotted. But when they are specifically instructed to gather and prepare for the Sabbath day, it does not. Moses said to them, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath. There will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my law? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So what we have here is sinful unbelief. On the one hand, we tried to hoard the food. God said you get one day's worth, except in preparation for the Sabbath day. And then the Sabbath day happens, and people go out to gather again. And surprise, surprise, there's nothing there. The food that they prepared as they were supposed to, it doesn't rot, it lasts. But the people that go out on the Sabbath when they're not supposed to, God makes God angry. Because this is the second time we've just in this one story that we've disobeyed. So, the Lord comes out with a little stronger guideline. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. And this is kind of, we are setting up, we're going to get to the law here in just a minute. We're going to start giving the law out. But there's a pattern that is sort of developing here. It goes all the way back to Abraham because Abraham believed God, right? It believed God, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And we're told in the New Testament that Abraham actually fulfilled the law by his faith. So what God is asking for is this faithful obedience. And then what happens in, in response to this is sin and further disobedience. And then what comes next is the law. The law is a big part of this story but it is not the entire point of the story. We've been 60-something chapters, and we don't have the codified law yet. Israel is still, at this point, a somewhat loose federation, you might say, without a, um, a leadership structure. They have elders, we know. But um, the law and, the, and, and that structure of leadership and the priestly class, these things will, um, are all still coming. It's just part of a picture I want you to get in your mind about how God calls for faith and obedience, just like he did from Abraham, Sin happens, and then God provides law to codify the disobedience, but also to provide, you know, a guidance to help sinful people, because we're going to see that repeated here in a minute. So, that's the Sabbath. Israel journeys onward from here. They camp at Rephidim. The people quarrel with Moses when they find no water to drink. So, again, we're back to... uh, they even moving to stone him. 
So the complaints are certainly getting more serious. And, and like I said, they're real needs. I don't, uh, I've never been two or three days in my life without water. I can't imagine what that would be like. Um, but we know at this point that they're literally, Moses even tells God, um, you know, they're ready to stone me. And remember, God wants to provide for them. God has provided for them. So God does provide for them again, graciously. Moses strikes a rock with a staff, and the rock, rock produces water. And, um, and again, we see the grumbling. It seems so obvious, but we all, we all have it in our own lives. And we grumble about the same things multiple times. This is not the first time we've had a complaint about water. It happens again. And now we have a, um, a different sort of more active danger approaching, the nation of Amalek, the Amalekites. They approach. We are now in Exodus 17 and move to attack Israel. And we meet a new figure in our story, Joshua. Moses uh, tells him to conscript, conscript men and basically form an army to meet the Amalekites. The Amalekites according to Genesis 36.16, are descendants of Esau. Remember how we had Jacob and Esau, and Esau married a woman from a different, a different tribe? So, some of you, perhaps, have had the experience of a of, of family gathering, a get-together, and you have distant cousins that are coming to town, and you fear it might be contentious because they're a little different. At least they're not coming to kill you. This is, think of it this way. These are the Israelites' distant cousins, okay? And they are sweeping down on them to meet them for battle. We have not been that long out of Egypt, and now we've had to go through the, um, the deprivations of the desert. We've had to establish a Sabbath, and God is now providing for them morning and evening, six days a week, and now battle is upon them. So Joshua gathers an army as best he can, and they fight against the Amalekites. Um, During the battle, Moses stands on top of a hill with his arms raised. As long as Moses has his arms in the air, as long as his arms are raised, Israel is prevailing but Moses is human. His arms get tired. When he puts his arms down, they begin to lose. Well, this is a huge problem. So her and Aaron help hold up Moses' hands so that Israel eventually wins the battle. Yeah, yes, yes. Well, he was 80 years old. I mean, you know, give the guy something to sit on. It's not a bad idea. You know, for a whole day. You try it. You try it for five minutes. Stand up, put your arms in the air, you know. Um, but again, why? Why this picture? Just to show, I, I think it shows in, um, in a way that is hard to mistake, that it is God who is giving them this victory. They're not a military power yet. They're not well organized, you know, in that way. They haven't had time to, this is, this is quickly put together and easily could have gone wrong. And it's a very active picture of it's, when God is blessing you, you're winning the battle. When God stops blessing you, you're losing the battle. So there's this active, as the blessing is sustaining them, just as the manna sustains them. Um, so they win this battle, their first sort of military test as a people. And then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, 
um, joins the procession, brings uh, Moses' wife and his uh, two children. And now we learn something about, because we assume with two million people, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done. There's a lot of issues that may come up. And, and how is this being handled? So Exodus 18, 13 I'm going to read a couple of verses here to kind of show how this had been unfolding. The next day, because now remember, <clears throat> Moses' father-in-law has now um, joined them. The next day, Moses sat down to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to inquire, come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. And basically, Moses' father-in-law tells him, you have to delegate this, Moses. You can't be involved in every single bit of, like, two million people. Do you know how many disputes come up in between two million people that are wandering through the desert? There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of issues. There's a lot of questions. And so here for the first time, we begin to see um, Israel beginning to, or- to organize itself. Moses will take the bigger issues, but the smaller stuff will be taken place by a... Um, a group of trustworthy men. Verse 21, this is Jethro speaking, Look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, that's Moses, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. So, It's a minor point here, but I think it's just interesting that basically Moses had been doing it all himself. Moses raises his hands, you know, for the battle. Moses, you know, leads the people. Moses does everything. And and for the perspective of his father-in-law, he was like, you need to sort of organize this people in a way. And this is the beginnings where we see the organizing of Israel um, so that they can have some role in, in taking care of these disputes themselves. And this brings us to Exodus 19, which is a chapter that is quoted and referenced greatly in the New Testament. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim, and they came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. This is not the first time Moses has been on the mountain. It's certainly not the first time Moses has been on this mountain to speak to God. This is Horeb, or the mountain of God, or Mount Sinai. And the last time Moses was here, there was a theophany. God spoke to Moses out of a burning bush. Um, And Moses has returned with all the host of Israel. And this is kind of... This is... um, God is putting this out. This is the time to really create this nation of believers, to, to bring it together, to codify it, to give it, um, to communicate with it. I have some notes in here about where they think Mount Sinai is on the um, Sinai Peninsula. 
Um, we're not sure, so I'm, I won't be. I won't get into that too much. But you can look it up. There's a lot of speculation, and many uh, monasteries and, and things of that nature have been built by people who thought they knew where where it was. And uh, to this day, many of them are maintained because they think that they've found the spot. So we move on. Moses goes up to talk to God. And God has the following message for Israel. First of all, God affirms his message as the deliverer of Israel. Israel, remember, we're only three months out of Egypt. Israel, you remember what I did. You know who I am. You've seen me provide for you on the desert. You wouldn't have made it this far. God affirms his role of deliverer of Israel and the God who brought them out of Egypt. Now something very interesting happens here next. And I'm going to read to you, starting in Exodus 19, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The, the connection here, which is, it was just amazing to me, is that sounds a lot like what God told Abraham. Walk before me, you know. This is not, this is not uh, two or three books worth of law. We'll get to that. What God is calling for is faith and obedience. And it's just, um, again, I want you guys to make that connection because before we spend so much time um, with the law, we have to understand that the New Testament teaches Abram fulfilled this law by living a life of faith. That's what God wants here. That's what God asks for. But, unfortunately, as we'll see coming up, this covenant was broken almost as soon as it was made. Israel was not able to keep it. So, remember back, what comes next? The law, okay? The law which will guide, which will show, what, which will show the sin. But again, God calls for faith and obedience, but there's sin, couldn't keep the covenant, so now we move on to the law. <clears throat> God announces that he intends to communicate with Moses in a manner that all Israel can hear, that Israel may believe Moses forever. That's cool, right? I mean, hasn't God done enough? Hasn't God shown enough? That's very fascinating. Like, why does God feel like he needs to, you know, appear before his people, but he says he's going to. Chapter 19, verse 10, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So, Moses does this. He prepares the people. He tells them what's going to happen. They're told to set limits. Don't let people wander, <laughs> wander onto the mountain that aren't supposed to be there or they'll die. Because remember, the last time God appeared to Moses on this mountain, it was a burning bush. This time it's going to look like the whole mountain's burning. It's a very different picture. But it's a very public display. All of Israel, very likely, you know, two million or more souls um, could be witness to this. 
Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, a very large trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. So God makes a sort of public appearance. They get to see him in a way that was a little bit different. I mean, they see the manna, they see the quail every morning. They got to see the Red Sea. They saw water come out of a rock. But just in case they needed more to help them believe, they actually get to see this whole mountain smoking and shaking. And this is God's appearance before his people. And how do the people respond? This is, this is very interesting as well, because remember... God asked them that they would obey his voice, keep his covenant, and they should be his treasured possession among all the peoples, and they would be a kingdom of priests. What comes next is um, the giving of the Ten Commandments, but right after that, in verse 18 of the same chapter, this is Exodus twenty eighteen. Now when all the people saw the thunder and lightning, the thunder and the flash of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You... Speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, and that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So, this is, um, in some ways, almost the most interesting part of this is the relationship to how the law is working here. The, the people, God wants that sort of faith and obedience. He wants to make them a kingdom of priests. He says so. But the people say, Moses, you go talk to God. You know, we, we don't want to get too close. There, there's this separation there. Um, the, and what we end up with, instead of um, a kingdom of priests, we end up with a kingdom with a priesthood, okay? Because a priest, is in, is a, um, a priest has a function to mediate between God and men. But a kingdom of priests, no, that is, that's, that's not where they end up because they say, Moses, you go talk to God. We don't want to get too close to God. We're, we're pretty scared. We've seen this mountain shaking and smoking. Um, you go talk to God, and then you tell us what he wants. So right away we see... Um, we, we see a, like I said, the, the covenant that, that God wants um, is broken almost as soon as it's made. Um, the Sinai covenant was not the problem, though. It's people's hearts. Um, Israel needed their law written on their heart and not on tablets of stone, but it, it, was, not, it, was, they were, it was not able to be fulfilled in that way. So thus we have the law. And we'll start with the Ten Commandments here, the Decalogue. And we will see some more law next time. I have a, um, again, just the emphasis on the believing. Because when we think of law, we think of the minutia of the law, the little precise commandments of which there will eventually be many. And we'll talk about how those lay out. But again, I just want to emphasize 
that it was the faith and obedience that God was after. He was after the heart, not just the external signs. The law had to come because they weren't able to keep the covenant. Um, this book, the meaning, uh, this book by John Salehammer, The Meaning of the Pentateuch, is a very, very good book. Um, if you like questions about the law and how it pertains to New Testament believers, and also about how the function of the Old Testament law. And I'm going to read a section here to you. Um, he's quoting a theologian called uh, Hans Schmidt. At critical points in the Pentateuch, the author alerts the readers to the central, import, central importance of the concept of faith. When Abraham entered a covenant with God, it was based on faith. When Moses heard the call of God and followed his commands, it was because he believed. Remember when Moses went, when God told him to go? When Israel heard the words of God and followed Moses and Aaron, it was because they believed. Remember right before the Exodus when Moses came to the elders of the people and they believed him and said, we're ready to go, we'll do this? They be- it was because they believed. The whole purpose of God's meeting with the people at Mount Sinai was so that they might believe. Remember? God promised, he, God says, I'm going to show up so that the people may believe you forever. Also, when the Israelites refused to take the land God had promised them, it was because they did not believe. Moses and Aaron could not enter the land because they did not believe. At each critical step along the way of Israel's history, in the Pentateuch, we are reminded that the deciding issue in their relationship with God was their faith or lack thereof. So I want you guys to be thinking about that because, and we just... It tied in really well with this morning's sermon. We are called to faith. We're called to faith. We're not called, you know, this is a hugely important uh, point, and this is getting set up for us even in the Old Testament, even as the law is beginning to be applied, and as we're organizing the society and bringing this nation, of, nation together. Um, it points toward th- this covenant, which the Israel was not able to keep, points to a successful new covenant that will be made in Christ a covenant of which all believers are a part. Um, So ultimately, you know, this was not written to teach Israel the law. It was addressed to a people living under the law and constantly failing. It looks beyond the law. It looks to God's grace. And it teaches its readers about faith and hope in a new covenant. So I think this is um, just a point that, as we sort of uh, pause here for a moment, the new covenant that we, um, that we so enjoy, that we so are so blessed to be part of, is, is already being set up here. Because the, the law is not the ultimate point. The, the, the law comes because of disobedience. The law comes because Israel needs it. It comes as, as, as further sin pops up, and we'll see it the next time. We have the sin of Israel, the golden calf, Aaron, the priest, is now compromised. So now what do we get next? The priestly code, right? And then we'll go further down and we'll see that Israel sacrifices to idols again. And then we get the holiness code. So as sins multiply, the law multiplies to cover these. It's almost like they're inventing new ways to be disobedient. So God, who, you know, it becomes a more and more complex system of laws. And we've sort of moved from what, we've moved from a rather simple covenant code to a very complex and restrictive priestly code, code of holiness. But again, it, it, it is the heart and is that faith and obedience that God is after. And Moses knew that, by the way. 
Just to finish up here for the day, I have, I'm going to skip ahead, and I don't do this very often, but I'm going to read a section to you out of Deuteronomy. Moses near the end of his life. Deuteronomy 31, 24. Just because, just so you know that, that Moses knew where all this was going, and he had no illusions about the law. Deuteronomy 31, 24. When Moses had finished writing the words of the law in a book to the very end, excuse me, the words of this law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be, that it may be there for a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and how stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you because... You will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. So Moses, Moses who helped, Moses who talked to God, Moses who revealed the law to the people, Moses who acted as an intermediary between God and the people, Moses knows they won't be able to keep this law. It is all pointing towards that faith and obedience, that new covenant that will become complete in Christ. And we will journey through the, we will, next time we will pick up, we will get through the law, we'll go through the tabernacle and some other stuff there, we'll finish with the law, and we will move on toward the promised land. By the way, interesting point, I think I might have actually forgotten to mention this. If you look it up, Israel did not go by the shortest route to Canaan. It actually says that God, he sent them around the Philistines, he was basically worried that, like, you know, if I just got you out of Egypt and I send you on the direct route and you bump into the Philistines, it's just going to be more than you can handle right now. We've got to have some time to, uh, to, to, to make this nation, for you to get to know me, to, um, to grow in faith, to, to have these, these laws and, and a, some system for defense. But it is interesting because sometimes God makes us go the long way around. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Sorry, that's really random. But um, thoughts, questions about this week? Yes, Greg. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. Yes, and and it's and it's faith drawn out by little steps. I'm going to provide your water. I'm going to provide your food, just enough for the day. I'm going to tell you where we're going. You have to be patient. You have to have faith. You have to wait. And when they couldn't do that and they couldn't obey, it was like, okay, now we're going to get some laws. <laughs> but it's this, just this drawing out of the faith and showing that God provides, but he doesn't always provide on our, you know, he provides on his own terms. So that's an excellent point. Other questions or thoughts about today? Yes, Wanda. Exactly. Yes, and Moses actually 
when you, it, it's very natural to be afraid. And, and when we read back through there, Moses actually talks to them and say, you know, talks when he speaks to them. Moses said to the people, do not fear. And a good answer to an obvious, you know, an obvious Obvious problem. For God has come to you to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. God's, God's putting this fear on you so that you won't want to sin. He's here so that you'll believe in him, so that you see him. But, perfectly, perfectly um, understandable, they're afraid. They say, I know you talked about us being a Mos- uh, Moses, you go talk to him. I know you talked about us being a kingdom of priests, but that's a little close. How about you go talk to him and we'll just do something else for a while, and almost instantly fall into sin. So, but yeah, just like it's perfectly reasonable for people wandering through the desert to get thirsty, it's perfectly reasonable for people looking at what must have looked like a volcano going off to be afraid. But again, it was, it was to, to bolster their faith, to put the fear of God in them. And yeah, excellent question. Yes. Yes, and that's and, and it's a good a good guard against the grumbling, like that self counsel, reminding yourself of the times God has been faithful. We have a whole book full of times showing us when God has been faithful that we can access at times when we have to wait for things we don't want to wait for. So that's that's excellent, Wanda. Any other thoughts, guys? I think it's interesting how we are so bent to preserve ourselves. And as you're reading that, and just sitting here thinking of all the things that we do day in year in, year out, to preserve or to guarantee our economic mm-hmm. situation. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, life insurance, <laughs> if we die, so nope. our family. And so many things can pull us away from total dependence, knowing that these provisions are coming from God, not mm-hmm. all of our yeah. great plans and there, there are whole industries, yeah, it's, it's excellent, Kevin, there's whole industries built on like, well, how do I retire with 25% more money than I would have retired with otherwise? How do I tweak my income taxes just a bit so that I can keep a little bit more? You know, how do I, you know, name it, you know, your, like I said, your, your, your 401k, your health insurance, your life insurance. I mean, the, all these things, not that they're inherently sinful in and of themselves, but like you said... Um, at some point, we still have to have that faith. And at some point, you might find yourself dragging around this big bag of like stinking, rotting manna that God was like, no, no, I'll provide it there when you need it. You know? So not that there's anything sinful about that in and of itself, but the instant you start thinking, Whew, I don't need quite as much faith because I've got a little bit better situation or I've sort of taken care of myself, I feel like we're walking along a line of that we... Should 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 notice that and remember the call is the call is for the faith and obedience, um, and and the faith part can be difficult and it requires waiting and you know well, I think that's good. Go yeah. 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 Just because God. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's exactly. Us. Just because God has provided for us every day for my entire life, what if He doesn't provide for me tomorrow? And that's, I think, where the self-counsel comes in, Wanda, where you're like, well, God is good, and he's provided for his people for a, a long time. So I think no matter what our situation is, he will care for us. But it's good, yeah, we're all set up to try and preserve ourselves and 
better our situation. And it's unfortunate, but we're always a little more comfortable when we seem to need a little less faith. And that's, that's just, you know, sinful humans. And we have to struggle against that just like Israel did. Other questions, thoughts? All right. Well, oh, yes, Greg. Mm-hmm. I don't think God at all wants us to just uh, say, well, I'm, I don't see any need of uh, going out and looking for a job. God will take care of you. Yep. And, and God is saying, I did take care of you. There were all these jobs that I provided yes. you, and you didn't take one. Yes, and that, and that is the danger. I mean, I would never... Obviously, God gives us ways that we can provide and store. It says in Proverbs, in the house of the wise, there are stores of choice food and oil. It's not a bad thing to prepare but when it begins to uh, affect your faith, you know, or you begin to have more faith in the 401k than you do that God will provide for you, maybe that's a dangerous spot to be in. But again, that is the balance. All right, guys, quick word of prayer here, and I'll let you guys go. Thank you so much, Lord, for this day. I thank you for all those who are here. I thank you for the hunger for your word, Lord. Lord, we know that we struggle with many of these things, with grumbling, with faith. Um, we need you, Lord. We need you to provide for us every day. We need you to increase our faith and help us to uh, walk in that faith. We thank you for your son Jesus and the new covenant that succeeded where the old did not. We love you, Lord, and thank you that you've provided these records for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.